Okay, if you could make your way back in and take a seat and chat afterwards. Welcome, welcome. I'm so glad that you're here and it's good to be home. Uh, I would have thought you guys could have arranged a little bit of a warmer welcome for us, but uh, still good to see all of your smiling faces. Uh, we missed you. We actually did church online on the way home last Sunday. We're listening to it on our phone as we're driving, as the signal keeps cutting in and out, in and out, in and out. But it was a lot of fun trying to figure out what was going on. So uh, we are really grateful to be home. Um, how many of you guys have a favorite movie? You know, you, you know what I mean by a favorite movie. I mean, like when you turn your TV on and you're just channel surfing. It doesn't matter what else might be on the TV. If you happen to see even a glimpse of your movie, everything else goes by the wayside and you're going to watch it. How, how many of you got that? You got that? Okay. Uh, I have two. The first is, and, and please don't judge me, all right? I know that this is dangerous when you admit that you actually like something in public, uh, but my, my, one of my favorite movies is Back to the Future. Yeah, I'm sorry, Marty McFly and Doc Brown, I mean, they've got the whole thing. I mean, you've got everything there. You've got joy, you've got excitement, you've got mystery, you've got danger, you've got going back and reliving your life. How much better can you get than that? But my all-time favorite movie... scared. Uh, my all-time favorite movie is Groundhog Day. In that movie, Bill Murray plays a weatherman by the name of Phil Connors, who is assigned to go to Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania, to celebrate Groundhog Day. And he does that very thing but because of a freak snowstorm, he's forced to stay overnight in Puxatawney. And to his shock, when he wakes up the next day, it's still Groundhog Day again. And that happens again and again and again and again. And finally, after a little while in the movie, Phil says this to his co-star, Andy McDowell. He says, what would you do if you were stuck in one place and every day was exactly the same and nothing you did ever really mattered. Have you ever felt like that? Like every day is the same old, same old, and nothing seems to change, and nothing you do really seems to make a difference? Phil takes basically three approaches. The first approach was, he decided that since every day was the same old, same old, what does it matter? There are no rules anymore. And he begins to live life like it really doesn't matter. He says what he wants. He eats what he wants. He does what he wants because there's no more rules. There's no more consequences. And after a while, the futility of that approach begins to dawn on him and he decides life just really doesn't matter. It's not worth living anymore. And he tries to kill himself again and again. Steps in front of a semi, he jumps off a bridge, jumps off a building, he throws a toaster in his bath water. He tries everything to kill himself, but every single morning he awakens to Groundhog Day. And finally, by the end of the movie, Phil realizes that trying to 
rebel against society's norms, and trying to escape through death isn't really the answer. Instead of living like nothing matters, he began to live like everything matters. And I want you to think about that this morning. When you go through your life, and again, I know we're all here at different stages of life, some a little bit younger than others, some a little bit older than others. But when you live your life, do you live your life like it really matters? Like what you do counts. It makes a difference. Your being present on this planet, your being present in this community, in your school, in your family, makes a difference. Are you like Phil who just think, what does it matter? My life doesn't count for much at all. Uh, I am, as most of you are aware, drawing towards the end of my days here as pastor of Family Life Church. And i got to tell you, I have found myself reflecting more than I ever could have imagined about that. I find myself wondering, when I am finally done on December 31st, 2022, will my 31 years here at Family Life Church have made any difference whatsoever? Would my presence... I'm not asking for feedback. <laughs> I'm just telling you, that's where my heart and mind goes. Or, I was thinking as uh, we were away on uh, some vacation, we were in Florida for the last few weeks. Two weeks of it was vacation, well, the last week of it was actually work. Um, but I find myself sitting... Karen likes to go out and tan. She tans, I don't tan, I burn. So she can tan. And she can lay out and get all kinds of dark, which is great for her. I sit in the shade and I read the whole time, which is wonderful for me. I love that. I think that's the ideal of life. But I can remember thinking at one point, uh, I'm drawing to the end of my days. I'm going to be done as pastor. And I know some people think I'm already done, but I'm not quite done yet. I'm still here. Um, but I remember at one point thinking, when I die, will it matter at all? Will my life have counted for anything? Will it have made a difference in anyone's life at all? This morning, I want us to start a series on the book of Ephesians. And any of you who have been here for a good long while knows that there was a point in the past in which I preached through Ephesians. How many of you guys remember that? No. Three and a half years. Three and a half years I preached through Ephesians, so I thought I'm going to do the same thing again. Um, but insofar as I only have a few months left, I'll have to kind of narrow it down just a little bit. Um, I want to talk about Ephesians, and I confess that um, whenever you're preaching, you probably have heard me do it, you've heard preachers do it. They'll say, I want you to turn to this book because it's like one of my favorite books of the Bible. Well, the truth is we have a lot of favorites, just like God has a lot of favorites. But Ephesians has to be probably at one of the top books for me in all of the Bible. I love Ephesians. I think of Ephesians as like this huge panoramic picture of life. But then, just like with our iPhones or our iPads, we can take it and we can pinch it down until we get a close-up picture of something. And we can draw it in finer and finer. And I feel like that's kind of what Ephesians does for us. It's kind of like for the church universal, but it's also for Family Life Church. It's for Family Life Church, but it's also for me. 
It's for me, but it's also for you. And that's kind of how I see Ephesians. And for those of you that take notes, I want you to know what I think is the big theme, and we've tried to catch it a little bit up there on the screen. But what I think is the big theme of Ephesians and what I am going after in my brief time that I have remaining here is this. It's that we might discover, really discover, whose we are and who we are. And out of that place of utter confident peace, we could live a life with purpose, on purpose. In other words, I want you to know that your life matters. And that God's Word actually talks about your purpose for life. So, if you would, would you turn to Ephesians chapter 1? I believe that God's desire through this book is that we would come to a place of greater security in Him and His love. And then out of that place of security, we'd be able to give love away in a far greater, freer way. We're not going to live our lives insecure about actually loving people. I mean, the theme of our church, the mission statement of our church is love God, love people, love Warsaw. But my question is, do you feel free to just love people? Just because God loves people. Uh, We dealt on vacation with a dear loved member of our family who has come out as a um, gay. And they contacted us, wanted to know how we would respond. And my response was pretty simple. We love you with all of our heart. You're our family and you can't help it. You got our love. That's what goes with the package. We don't always have to agree with everything everybody does, but it doesn't stop us from loving people because God loves people. And so I believe God wants to talk to us in Ephesians about discovering whose we are, we're His, and then discovering who we are. So, uh, Ephesians chapter 1, if you're not there. Ephesians 1 and verse 1. Uh, I don't know what translation you use. Mine's going to be up on the screen. It says this, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He starts off and says, Paul, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ by the will of God. Uh, I don't know how you guys approach it whenever you have an opportunity to speak in front of people. Normally, what I do is I first pray about what I think God is saying to me through the text, and then I read some commentators and some other people to see what they said. And I thought it was interesting that there are some people who believe that Paul was so insecure in himself that he needed to constantly boast about his credentials so that you would think better of him. He had to, have you ever called somebody on the phone and they answer it using their title? You know, it it would be like somebody calling Paul and he answers and says, hello, this is the most reverend Apostle Paul speaking because they want to make sure you know how important they really are. And so when people call me or I call them, most often when I call them, I'll call them and I'll say, hi, this is uh, Chris Lanneville. Or I say, this is Chris and there's a long pause. And I'll say, Chris Lanneville, there's a longer pause because they don't know my name. I say, this is Pastor Chris. They go, oh yeah. I don't think Paul was doing this in order to boast so that you would see how important he is. I think Paul had discovered something that just... 
let me just say, I think titles and offices have a place. I think they're due some respect. People in our community. Like if, if I'm going to my doctor, I call my doctor, doctor so-and-so, because I think they're deserving of respect. So to call somebody pastor or apostle, I don't think is inappropriate. But if you need that title to feel good about yourself, what do you do when you no longer have that title? How do you feel about yourself then when you're no longer Pastor Chris Lanneville? I'm coming up on that pretty quickly. I'm going to be tested. How do I feel about myself when no one looks at me anymore? I mean, it already happens. I have people regularly come to me and they'll say, well, I went and I talked to Pastor John because you're not the pastor anymore. I thought, really? Who told you that? Well, Pastor John. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> but here's the point if I need a title to feel good about myself I've got a problem I have to find my security in him not in what I do or what office I hold or what title I hold feel good about myself because God says he loves me Paul isn't trying to make sure that you know that he is the top dog the alpha male among ministers Paul, what I want you to catch here is that Paul lives amazed at the grace of God to him. And I wonder if you do. Every time Paul says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, there's like wonderment in his heart. Can you believe it? God chose me. Paul, an apostle. What was God thinking? But that's what's coming out every time Paul says it. Paul, an apostle. Do you ever live amazed at the fact that God chose you? That out of all the people on the earth, he looked down and he said, I want R.D. I want Cameron. I want Micah. I want Tim. I want Tom. I want you. And God picked you. And He saved you out of everybody. God picked you. Do you live with a sense of wonderment about that at all? Because that's what I see here with Paul. Paul's not boasting. He's not bragging. He's not trying to make you think more of him than you ought. He's living with this sense of confidence. God chose me. I didn't deserve it, but God chose me. And then look what he does when he goes on. Look at verse 3. He's already talking about himself now. Paul, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ by the will of God. Then he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. Now he's bringing you into the mix. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. Paul is basically saying, listen, I know God did something in me. God saved me. And I live with a sense of amazement and peace and wonderment about that. And you can know the same thing. Because He's done the same thing for you. He begins by saying, God had a plan for my life. He called me to be an apostle. And I want you to hear me this morning. God has a plan for your life. He does. Corey, he has a plan for your life. 
He didn't just choose you out of nowhere and say, well, I better save her because there's nothing. I don't want her to go to hell. No, he says, I've got a purpose for your life. Chris, he's got a purpose for your life. Lindsay, he's got a purpose for your life. This is not just God saying, i got nothing better to do. I'm loved, so I better save people even though I don't really like them. No, he says, your life has purpose. It has meaning. And God wants to live his life through you. When you become confident in the fact that God chose you, he didn't have to, he chose to choose you, then something shifts inside of you. And you no longer live your life like it doesn't matter. You know every moment of every day matters. And my presence makes a difference. And it doesn't always have to come out in words. I mean, I sit down and I joke with you guys about it, and they know I do. I sit down at Bud's and I get my coffee and I sit with all these old guys who solve the problems of the world. They're just good old guys. I don't always witness to them. I'm not constantly talking to them about the Lord. But they know who I am. And they know who I am inside and what I'm about. And they will make jokes about it. Yeah, like two of them just left for Florida and they said, well, we'll make sure we got a podium down here when you come back after the snow hits. I said, well, thank you very much. I'll come down. Somebody said the other day something like, you know, this is it. And I'm telling you, that's the gospel truth. And I said, can I tell you, I appreciate that truth, but that's not the gospel. The gospel is way better than that. And they all laugh. But people know who you are because your life makes a difference because God has chosen you. Keep in mind, who Paul is, though. For those of you that maybe are newer to the story, his name wasn't always Paul. He was called Saul. And he was from a town called Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus. And the first time we pick up Saul is in Acts chapter 7. That's in the New Testament. So you go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Acts chapter 7. Saul of Tarsus, it says, was there when a whole mob was killing one of the church deacons. It's like what's going on in Ukraine right now. People being pulled out of the bunkers. Except for in this case, they're pulled out of church. And there, they're stoned to death. And it says Paul was there watching it and agreeing to it. And then the next time we hear about him is in chapter 8 where it says this about Saul of Tarsus. Now Saul was consenting to Stephen's death. Stephen was the deacon. By the way, who's the deacon in the church? Who's, who's the deacon? Could you raise your hand? Okay. So, here's Saul looking at Dan Rhodes being stoned to death. And he says, yeah! Go for it! He's excited about this. Because he's on the other side. Now Saul was consenting to Dan's death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial, made a great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. So Saul of Tarsus was not a good guy. He was a guy who hated Christians, who hated the church. And he was going to do something about it. The next thing we know, though, is in Acts chapter 9. One chapter later, Paul is on the road to Damascus where he has letters from the religious leaders of the day to go into the church and drag them out into prison and to kill them. And Saul has an encounter with God that changed his life forever. So that when Paul says, Paul, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, 
I want you, every time you read that, I want you to step back and say, God, I feel the same. That you would choose me. That you would pick me. Out of all the people, there were better people than me. There were smarter people than me. There were kinder people than me. But you chose me. Paul lives with this sense of wonderment that God would pick him. A persecutor of the church. A hater of Christians. And God, you chose me. Paul marveled at the grace of God to him. But not only to him, the grace of God to you. Because, you know, because Paul was touched by God, Paul in turn touched me. And my heart and my intent is that my life would touch you in some way. So that what Paul did is really touching you today. Maybe for you, you feel like it's not that big of a deal. But Paul understood that God was not nationalistic. I know you all sitting in this room think that God loves the United States of America above all other nations of the earth. But i got to tell you, that's just not true. God loves the whole world. In fact, I know this is going to be hard for you, but God loves Russia and the people of Russia. God loves the Ukraine. God loves Poland and Belarus. God loves Kazakhstan and China. God loves the world. And he demonstrated that with the sacrifice of his own son. <coughs> Paul, realizing what God had done, talks about himself in his writings. You read his letters, because you know, every book of the Bible in the New Testament, as we read it, when we get from Acts on, from Romans on, we get to Paul's letters. He's writing letters to people. So that's what this is. This is like a letter he wrote to you. Paul again and again talks about himself. He says this in Ephesians, later in Ephesians. Ephesians 3.8 To me who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So, Paul says, to me who am less than least. What's the least? You know, if, if I were on a scale of 0 to 100, what's the least in that scale? Zero. What's less than the least? That's a negative. Paul says, I don't even rate on the scale. I'm a negative. And yet God chose me to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ to the Gentiles. That's you and me. Do you ever feel the wonder about God picking you? Did He choose out of all the people of the earth he chose you. Do you ever, when, you, when you, you bow your head at night, which I hope you do, I hope some of you at least take some time at night when you're laying in bed to pray, just to let the last thing on your lips be about God. Your heart turned towards Him. Do you ever sit there and just say, God, I don't know why, but I am so grateful that you would pick me. I was about 11 years old, living in a family where my father was uh, an alcoholic, he was a heavy drinker, a heavy fighter. Uh, he was a mean guy, and the more he drank, the meaner he got. He was the president of the bar that was right next to our house. And my dad grew up despising Christians and churches. Hated them. He had his reasons, but the truth is, my dad especially despised 
despised sissy Christian men who needed religion as a crutch to get through their day. But it was in about 1969 that my father, at 34 years of age, had an encounter with God just like Paul did. And he was knocked off his high horse. And because God looked down upon planet Earth, and he took this panoramic picture of the Earth, and he pinched it in until he got the focus right on George Lonneville, he changed the destiny of the Lonneville family forever. You see, God didn't just save George Lonneville. But in saving George Lonneville, God saved Chris Lonneville. And the destiny continues farther. It continues to my marriage. It continues to my children and to my grandchildren and to my great-grandchildren which are going to be coming someday. And it continues in you. The destiny that God worked into my family impacts you. And your destiny impacts people around you just the same. It's not because I happen to be the one standing up front talking right now. Your life makes a difference. And that's the message that Paul is giving us in Ephesians. Know who you are. First, that God picked you. God chose you. You know, I can remember when I was a kid, maybe you guys had this experience too, when we'd be in gym class and the coach would pick two guys and say, okay, you guys pick teams, one one after another. How many of you remember what it felt like when it was getting towards the end? And you were hoping. You had one hope in mind. Do you remember what it was? Don't let me be the last. I don't care if I'm second to the last. At least I can turn around and smirk at the last. Well, the truth is, I was the last. There was no reason for God to pick George Lanneville or Chris Lanneville. He just did it because he loves and he can't help himself. He loves to love. Because that's who He is. If salvation, if your salvation is become ho-hum to you, maybe it's because you don't realize how desperate you really were. How desperately you needed God. You say, well, Pastor, I wasn't really that bad. I mean, I didn't do any big crimes. I didn't kill anybody. I didn't steal. I didn't lie. So I wasn't really that bad at all. I just needed a little boost up. And so I come to church just to make me feel a little bit better about myself. Now, I got to tell you, you've missed the whole boat. Your goodness isn't ever going to be enough. That, that, that'd be like comparing me to Michael Jordan. You know, I can guarantee that at his age, Michael Jordan can still jump higher than I can. But my job and his job isn't just to jump higher. Our job, if we're going to be good enough, is to jump to the moon. And we can't do that. And he can't do that. And neither can you. None of our goodness is good enough. God chose you just because he chose you. And he wanted you. Listen to how Paul describes himself. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Paul looked at all the sinners on all the planet and he said, I'm chief. I'm number one among all the sinners. He didn't say I was. He says, I am. 
That's how Paul looked at it. He says in Galatians 1.13, For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. That's Paul's testimony. I persecuted it beyond measure and I tried to destroy I wanted to stamp it out. Do you know, I've thought several times over the years that as much as different people in the Muslim faith have said they hate Christians, I wonder how many Pauls there are among them who are going to encounter God and begin to change the world and bring so many Muslims to Christ. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15, For I am the least of the apostles, not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But, 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 by the grace of God, I am what I am. Paul knew who he was before Christ, but he also knew who he was after Christ. And isn't that part of our problem? Is that we spend so much time fretting and regretting the past instead of, like Paul, celebrating what God has done for us. Yeah, you were a stinker. I know that. I know you. But God already knew that about you and He still chose you. He knew everything about you. And He still chose you to be His. To be His son or His daughter. (coughs) Because God chose Paul, And through Paul's ministry, God chose me. And through my ministry, God chose you. So that this message of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ could be carried on for generations to come through you. I have been doing this for now about 40 years. I mean, I've been here 31 years, but I was ministering, pastoring before then. It's been about 40 years that I've been doing this. And I think often of Paul's statement at the end in Timothy as he's getting ready to end his ministry. He's being taken to Rome as a prisoner where he's pretty sure he's going to die, and he did. But he speaks to his son in the faith, a young man that he brought to Christ. His name is Timothy. And he speaks to Timothy and he says, I want you to find some faithful, some trustworthy young men and women, and I want you to impart this message to them. And I want to tell you, I've been doing this thing now for a long time, and I'm looking for some faithful people who can hear the message that they will carry it on. They won't get saved just enough to get out of hell, because that's pretty easy, honestly. I want you to get saved saved, where it begins to take over your life. And it changes who you are forever. And changes everything you say and everything you do. I love it. I love it when people come to the church and they're good old-fashioned sinners. And God apprehends them. And they might not dress. I I saw a guy yesterday at the funeral that we were at. I mean, he, he was dressed goth, goth, goth. Goth through and through. And I kept thinking, I wonder what his story is wonder what God's doing in this man's life. Truth is, God takes people the way they are, and He doesn't want you to look like me. He doesn't even want you to act like me. He wants you to be you, who God made you to be. Because He's not looking for cookie-cutter Christians. He's looking for every one of you to be who God made you to be. And for some of you, you come from a completely different background than me. Like for my wife, my wife is like fifth-generation ministry family. I'm first. 
When I went to Elam, I had been saved very, very little time. I got in trouble right away and got kicked out of Elam. I did. Not, no exaggeration, I did. But God still had His hand in my life. It took a long time to change some of that. And for some of you, He's doing it right now. He's speaking to you about things in your life that He's been talking to you about for a long time. And that's okay. That's the love of God saying, I want you to look more like me. Don't look more like Pastor Chris. Look like me. And that's God's call to us. I'm not talking about the fact that God wants you to be a missionary to the Ukraine or to um, Podunk, Vermont. I looked it up. There is a Podunk, Vermont, by the way. No, God wants you to be who He called you to be right where you're at. Doing what He called you to do. Whatever that might be. Paul, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, by the will of God. Paul does what all of us ought to do. Paul starts with God. And I know that we all say, yeah, yeah, of course, of course. But why is it that we spend so much time thinking about ourselves and our feelings and not as much time thinking about God? At heart, all too often, we're the center of our own universe. We're, we're obsessed with ourselves and our feelings. Paul starts with God. And he says, the only way you're going to make it in life is if you're God's. Start with God. You know, I know that a lot of people would never like this, and that's okay. You can get mad at me. I'm going to be gone in a few months, and you can despise everything I ever said. But I got to tell you, I watched people over the years make their family an idol, a God. Make sports a God. Make their job their God. Make money their God. I would think it would be far better to take the creator of heavens and earth and say, He is God. He's who I will follow. That's how I'm going to order my life. And that's what Paul does. Paul, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, by the will of God, right from the beginning of this letter, Paul brings us face to face with God. The Bible that many of you hold in your hands is God's book. It's written by God to you. It's God's letter to you about what life ought to be like. If you're ever going to experience the bigger purpose for your life that keeps it from becoming boring and same old, same old, the only way that's going to happen is if God enters into every aspect of your life. So that when you go to work, you are a carrier of God's presence. Did you know that? You bring God with you. You can't help it. He's inside of you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. When you go to work, you're carrying God with you. When you go to school, you're carrying God with you. And you're making an impact on those people around you. It's God who actually gives life meaning and purpose, in other words. So that we don't end up like Phil Connor saying, what's it matter? I can live any old way I want. Nothing ever changes. I pray and God doesn't change anything. No, God does. He works on you from the inside out. He doesn't promise to change your circumstance. He does promise that through the circumstance, He will change you. So that when we pray, most often we pray, God changes the circumstance, and God says, okay, I can work on the circumstance, but first I want to work on you. I want to change you as a person. Um, when we were in Kazakhstan on one occasion, 
uh, we were in the capital city of Almaty, and uh, we went to this big mall. They had this huge mall there, had an ice skating rink on the ground floor. It was really interesting. But I noticed right away that it had a Baskin Robbins. Why are you judging me? You guys are snorting about that. What's the <laughs> I like ice cream. Um, so I went over to this Baskin Robbins and I'm looking at their 31 flavors that are up on the board. 31 flavors. And I said, okay, I would like um, some cookie dough ice cream. And they said, I'm sorry, we don't have any today. Okay, so I looked back up at the board and I said, okay, I would like some cake batter ice cream. And I'm sorry, we don't have that. And I went through several things. I said, can I have this? Can I have that? Nope, don't have it. I finally, in frustration, said, what do you have? She said, we have chocolate. That's it. Chocolate. I said, can I have 31 flavors of chocolate then? Because if you're honest, we like to make choices for our own life. I don't want anybody to tell me what to do. But when you talk about the will of God, what you're talking about is God has some control in your life. You give to Him sovereignty. And we don't like that. We don't want somebody saying they're over us. No one's over me. No one tells me what to do. Paul didn't fight with that. Paul says, look where my life was. And God saved me. God, you're in charge of the whole kit and caboodle. I am yours. God didn't choose you, by the way, because He saw so much potential in you. You know, He saw you had so much firepower. That wasn't why God chose you. I, I hear people do that all the time. I hear people say things like, oh, wouldn't it be wonderful if God would just save Elon Musk? Think about what God could do with all of that money. Do you really think that God is short on cash? Do you? Do you think God needs Elon Musk? God loves Elon Musk, but He doesn't need him and He doesn't need you. He didn't choose you because He needed what you were going to bring to the table. He chose you just because. It's out of His goodness, His kindness, and His love. Or maybe you're more like Moses, who when God chose him, Moses says, who me? What am I? You would choose me. And maybe you're one of those people, more like me, who struggles with God. You could have picked anybody better. But God said, no, I chose you. And I want you to do what you're doing. Here I am, having done this now for 40 years, and it's just beginning to dawn on me that maybe God knew what he was doing. That he chose me to do this on purpose. That this wasn't just a fluke. That God actually meant for me to do this. And God meant for you to be who you are and to do what you're doing, called by Him. Relationship with God is the only thing that gives life meaning and purpose. Uh, and when you become comfortable with who you are in Him, life changes for you because you begin to see that everything that you're doing matters. It doesn't matter whether it's uh, playing basketball or welding, or sweeping, or doing the dishes, or the laundry, or whether it's doing your homework. God vests purpose into it because you're a carrier of His life. 
The book of Ephesians, which we're going to be spending some time on over these weeks in between when I speak, uh, when the others are not. Uh, this book of Ephesians basically divides into two parts. And you could even mark this down in your Bibles if you have your Bible. The first three chapters is about me and him. It's where God establishes our identity, our security in him. And then the second three chapters, chapters four through six, is him and me. Because until you deal with your identity in God first, then everything that comes out of you becomes tainted, polluted. But once that's settled, then the life of God flows out of you. And by the way, I've watched it in your lives. I've watched God move through you. Use you in ways that you never could have anticipated or anticipated, but you have been used by God. I was thinking this morning, and maybe it doesn't matter to you, it does to me. I watched Cameron and Sherry with two stickers on them. I didn't even know what the sticker said. It didn't matter. I just knew it made them official somehow. They, they, they have an office now. But they had the sticker. And I thought back to when they first came to this church. And I thought, what God has done in their life. That's the life of God lived out through people. And I've seen it in your life. And so when we come to this today, as we're coming to an end, finally, as we come to an end, finally, it's with the awareness. God didn't make a mistake when He picked you. He didn't. He knew what He was doing. And He's the one who gives purpose to your life. Would you stand with me? It's possible that you feel a little like Phil Connors today. Like your life doesn't matter. Nothing you do seems to make any difference or change. And that sense of meaninglessness almost mocks you. It stands in the face of even what I've just said to you. But I want you to know, if you've got a choice, believe God's voice over the voice that sometimes comes into your head. Believe God. He said, I chose you. I picked you. In His goodness and His mercy, He chose you. But He didn't just choose you so that one day you could go to heaven. He chose you so that your life could make a difference here and now. See, in heaven, everything's going to be all right. It's already going to be fine there. Everything's perfect there. He wants you to make a difference here and now. I want you to hear me that God has a will and a purpose for your life in the same way that Paul discovered his. God has a plan for my life and God has a plan for you. And you. And you. And you. God has a plan. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, in these months leading up to the end of this year as I share from Ephesians, my honest, deepest prayer is that it would begin to curry a deeper love and passion in every heart for your word and your way. That we would, in fact, be people of the word and of the spirit. And that each person here would know that God not only loves them, but he has a purpose for their lives. 
We're not just saved so that we can go to heaven. We're saved so that we can be sent to the world. And there we can make a difference. And for those who are stuck, sometimes shackled in prison with the issues of their past, Lord, I pray that they would learn to celebrate the mercy and grace of God in their life. And for those, Father, who aren't seeing on a regular basis, like they don't feel like they're being used much. Lord, it's not a matter of the quantity. It's that they're looking to be your voice, your heart to those around them. Lord, I pray that you would awaken in our hearts an awareness that just as Paul knew, he was an apostle by the will of God. So we are called by that same will of God. Thank you for loving us, for saving us, and for sending us. Thank you, Father. In Christ's name, amen. 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 God bless you, and have a great cold day. (laughs) It'll change, I hear.